Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. If you have a Bible this morning, invite you to the book of James, James chapter 4. It's where we're going to be. If you do not uh, have a Bible and you want to put one in your lap, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to um, grab those, uh, grab that and use it. If uh, you uh, are a user of the Bible app, you can open up the app and find our live event track along with all of that, okay? Uh, so a couple of things. Uh, n- number one, I talk with my hands a lot, and those of you who are close enough to see, I still have paint left over on them. Uh, multiple people have come up and give me solutions. I also have cuts underneath my paint. Please don't tell me to pour chemicals on them right now. Thank you. Uh, because we were doing some painting, you know, some just general work, that kind of thing. Apparently, though, it's infectious. Because on my street, like my little cul-de-sac where I live, two different neighbors are renovating their master bathroom. Anybody gone through that? Anybody lived through that? Survived? Want to give testimony about how you made it through and all that kind of stuff? This is, this is that. One of them had it uh, done. One of them is doing it himself. Uh, I, I don't want to catch that bug. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want that at all. Um, what I know is that uh, the folks who are doing it themselves, as well as the folks who had it done for them, uh, there is a lot of noise, dust, trash, junk, inconvenience, relocation. I cannot believe this is happening. No, it's not that tile. Please don't put that there. I mean, there's just a lot. Yes. Anybody had a huge renovation project in your house that has gone flawlessly without any problems? Uh, Just looking around the world, actually, nobody out of all 7 billion people, nobody has had that. So um, I'm kind of bringing this up just to set it out to say, Man, we love when it's done. Not so much the getting there part. We love the product. We don't love the process. We love the renewal, the renovation. Some might even use the word revival that comes. But we don't like what it takes to get there. And that really is the topic of the day. That, that sense of renewal. And the reason I say that is because in my own life, I want renewal. My guess is that a lot of you do too. In my family, I want renewal. My guess is a lot of you do too. In this community, I want renewal. In our church family, I want renewal. In our nation, right? I want renewal. I want it to come. And the process of all of that... The process of all of that can be pretty messy and pretty inconvenient. Well, we love the product when it's all said and done, but the process is is what gets us. Um, And so today, Ben, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for me that we would hear exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to say um, to each of us about this issue because um, it it, it may apply in different ways. Here's what I know. If if, um, renewal slash revival slash revitalization or repair or any of those other rewords, if if it's going to come, do you know where it starts? Not in the nation. Not in the community. Not in the church not even in my family, if that kind of renewal is going to come, do you know where it starts? It starts right here. Like the the person that I see in the mirror when I shave every morning, it starts there. It starts with you. And it starts with me. I don't have to go looking out there. It starts in here. And so um, there are two kind of things that 
uh, James uh, is going to get after us about today. Uh, one is the things we need to look out for, and then secondly, a response to those. So James chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Quarrels and fights, that is in opposition to how he ended chapter 3, uh, the uh, harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So instead of peacemaking um, people who, who sow and experience this, we got quarrels and fights. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and don't have, so you murder, you covet, cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity or hostility uh, toward God? Therefore, uh, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Let's pause right there. Uh, I want to talk about these signs. We're going to list three signs. And here's what I know about these signs. They may not be um, uniquely applicable to you. And these may not be all the signs that God would want to use to point you to the need for renewal in your own life. And they may not be at the intensity that they kind of attract your attention or even arrest it and go, oh, I, I really need to do something about this. Here's what I do know, though. Um, whatever signs, be they these three that we're going to list here from James, or if something else happens, warning signs, they have to be owned. Like you have to take them in in order for them to be effective. Either some conviction by the Holy Spirit, which is one of the things I'm praying for. There'll be something where the Spirit of God kind of sets his finger on this and goes, you know what? We need to talk about this. Some sort of internal conviction or externally, somebody says something from the outside. A fellow believer, even a non-Christian, maybe circumstances speak to you where you're like, we probably need to work this through. So um, these signs, they may not be all of it, but if, if, if I'm going to experience renewal, if I'm going to experience what I desire and what God wants for me, I have to own it. Sometimes in marriage counseling, people come in and be like, yeah, you really messed this up, didn't you? Yep, I sure did. And, and, and uh, they say, well, it's like 2% my fault, 98% their fault. So to the 2%er, here's what I say. You don't have to own their 98%, but you have to own all of your 2%. And if you think to yourself, well, I mean, I, I'm here and I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Great, let's own all of that 2%. Here's sign number one, verse one. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Quarrels and fights, quarrels and fights. So this is true personally, and it's true in churches. Um, the, the main thing that I want to kind of point to, though, is, is where they come from. What quor- causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Um, is it not this, that your passions are at war? And then don't miss this. Where, where are they at war? Within you. Within you. So this this strife, this disunity, this disconnection, all the problems that are happening here, they have an origin. It's not out there. Listen, are there things in our world that can exacerbate the situation? Are there things that can kind of turn up the heat on us and the things that we're feeling? Yes. You get on social media and all of a sudden you're spun up about something you didn't even know existed 35 minutes ago. But now it's problem number one. Social media can get it fired up. You uh, flick on the news and people start talking and then people start ta- over talking and then people start yelling and, you know, this kind of talking head thing, the pundits there, they can get you stoked about this, right? They just, and then up, up goes the fire. Listen, they sell ads and they buy their clicks. Like they, they intentionally do that, right? So he, here's the deal. External things, they are real. 
But they're only stoking what's already inside of us. What causes the quarrels? What causes the fights? Is it not that the passions that are inside of you, that these are the issue. It is the stuff that's going on in here. In here. That's what causes these things. <clears throat> Disunity, however it expresses itself, it spoils. It spoils whatever it touches. And it infects us to the point where we get to the, the place of either apathy or inaction or both together. That kind of disunity. This is, this is what it does. And, and, and one, one kind of um, expression of this, this isn't always the case, but one expression of this is that our cause becomes greater than the care we have for the person we're trying to convince. I'm right. You know that I'm right. I'm going to prove to you that I'm right so that you can say, hey, you were right. That cause right there, that is what stirs this kind of thing up. It, you can imagine this, these quarrels and just try to paint this in, in the kind of anatomical form. Is it not that your passions are at war within you? You can imagine if, if uh, th- you go home, take your Sunday afternoon nap because the Astros' first pitch is at 6.07, and uh, you, you go home and you do that, you get ready for all of this, and you wake up and your kidney just looks at your liver and is like, hey, you and me, right now, we're going to get to it, right here. And your lungs are like, no, don't do that. And then they team up and go to fight your lungs. And you think to yourself, this is a crazy illustration. This is exactly what he's talking about. Though. What kind of chaos would be unleashed in you if that were the case? You'd probably miss the first pitch, I guarantee. So these quarrels and fights, we need to look out for that. Second sign is, uh, look at verse 2. You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. Here's a sign, unanswered prayers. Um, There are two different expressions of this. James uh, highlights here, and I will say that every, not every unanswered prayer is a sign that you need renewal in your life, but some of them may be. Um, He he says specifically, you don't... um, uh, you don't have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so you fight and you quarrel. That kind of covetousness, Paul says, is idolatry. And so the, the, the idea is we go to God for prayer and we're like, hey, God, what we really want is you to answer um, the, the prayers that I'm praying so that I can do the things that I want to do. But is that the nature of prayer? No. The nature of prayer is, hey, God, um, your kingdom come uh, and your will be done so that I get what I want. No, your kingdom come and your will be done. Why? Because I want heaven to come to earth. This is what I want. He says specifically in verse three, you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. That word passion there is where we get the word hedonist. We make it about me and my pleasure. What, are, what is my pleasure? What are my ends? What is my importance in the eyes of others? So I'm asking you God to do this so that I can have kind of what I want and how I want it and this kind of thing. My guess, well, let me just pause here before we run away from this. Just, just in case this is applied to someone. We ask and we don't receive because we want it so bad. And so we pursue it in other ways. And we pursue it and we pursue it. Oh, yeah. And it's a tragedy when we spend our life pursuing something and not getting it. It's even more of a tragedy when we 
uh, when we spend our lives pursuing it, end up getting it and then figuring out it wasn't worth it. So our unanswered prayer may be a, a sign for us, a pointer for us. Um, just following up here, um, th- that's one way. That kind of idolatry, that kind of God, give me what I want so I can spend it on me. That, I want you to answer my prayer so that I can be a hedonist. That's one way. The other way that this works, so unanswered prayer, look at, look at the end of verse 2. You don't have because you don't ask. I don't know if I have the full pulse on our church family. My best guess, my best guess is, is that the, the first problem, hey, God, I'm asking, I'm asking so that I can spend it on my pleasures. That may be a problem for a few but my, my better guess is that we don't have because we don't ask is probably the, the greater struggle within our church family. As your pastor, this is what I'm saying. We don't have because we don't ask. And so uh, the reason our prayers go unanswered is what? We don't pray them. God may say no, but if we don't ask, guess what? We'll never know. So over and over and over again, I just want to plead with you, Ask. Ask God to do this. Ask God to step in. Ask God to move. Ask God to work. Ask God to change you so that you can go about doing the things that he wants you to do. I, I, this is, I, it's full on baseball. I get it. I just want you to, uh, I, I want to fully embrace this and, and we'll be so glad uh, when the Astros uh, finally destroy the evil empire and sweep them today. Yes. Everybody loves when the good guys win. If it's you at the plate, you got a runner on third, it's a full count, two outs, because we've already busted up the bullpen, right? Like, uh, you're there, like, as a hitter, you're at the plate, full count, runner on third. What's the one thing that you do not want to do? Not swing, right? Like, you, you know the ball is coming. You know that you should swing. You know, I mean, unless it's like in the dirt and way out and thrown into the dugout, whatever it may be. Like you know he's going to try. To, you, you don't want to walk back to the dugout in the walk of shame. Oh, I took a third strike on a full count with a runner on third. If you swing and miss, you at least want to go down swinging. And if we pray... And it goes differently than we hoped. May we be the people who go down swinging. Well, you don't have because you don't ask. Let's be the people who ask. God may go, you know what? If you knew everything that I did, you'd answer just this way. In which case we can trust him, yes? It would be unkind for God to give us what we want in that moment. If we wanted the wrong thing. So instead of that, God, I'm going to ask, and I'm going down. So like if I'm going down, I'm walking back to the dugout, bat on my shoulder saying, hey, I took my best cut. Let's, go, let's be people who go down swinging. All right. Third side. Again, maybe, maybe that's not your thing. Maybe none of these are yet. Maybe you don't feel them as intensely that, that it causes something in you. But let's look at this third side. You adulterous people, verse 4. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God or hostility Toward God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This kind of worldly compromise. 
worldly compromise. And you think to yourself, I'm not trying to be a friend with the world. I mean, that kind of worldly system, that kind of organized group that stands against God, be it unwittingly or wittingly, uh, that's just like, ah, well, you know, we don't need him. Uh, I'm not trying to be friends with that. Here's, there are two things that the Bible gives us that are diagnostic, like, I mean, hard data for you and for me on this. First one, your time. Does your time reflect the fact? The way that you use your time, does it reflect the fact that uh, uh, I, am, I am following Jesus? I am doing what he wants. I'm trying to live, like Paul says, with wisdom, redeeming the time because of the nature of the days that are around us. Does your time reflect that? Or are you just hoping for the next distraction to get you to the next thing? The second diagnostic tool that God gives us, one is time, the second one is treasure. Does the use of the resources that God has entrusted you with, does that reflect the kind of kingdom priorities that, uh, that God would prescribe for you and for me? And you think to yourself, well, but like, I mean, we're just like months away from a recession and inflation's terrible and all of that's true. It was true a while ago. Then we had some good days. True now. We'll have some good days. True. I mean, like, this is just how the thing works. The question is, all throughout the cycle, all throughout the roller coaster, does your use of the resources that God has entrusted you with, does it reflect um, the, the, a, a friendship with God or a friendship with the world? Which way does that go for you? And you think to yourself, well, look, I'm not really trying to... I mean, like, shouldn't I enjoy it? Yes, you absolutely should enjoy the things that God has given you. He wants you to. First Timothy chapter 6, he's given us all these things to enjoy. How do we do that? By enjoying them in the way that God intends. And not, this is the problem here in, in verse 4. You, you're, you're an adulterer. You're trying to um, uh, have one relationship and keep another. You're trying to put one foot in each, on, on each side here. That's the problem when you try to live that way. Again, I, I just want to say there, there's no particular shot at any person or any group here. The question on the table is, does this apply to you? Any of these signs kind of set off a warning bell in your life to go, man, I, pr- I probably got some work to do on that. If so, what, what do we do? What do we do? Well, it's like James knew we'd ask that question. Look at verse 5. If you look out and you see this is a problem, what do you do? Verse 5. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture said he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So let's start here. Uh, When, if, if these warning signs go off and we look out and go, oh, this is not good. What do we do? We look up. We look up. And when we do, the very first thing that we discover is this, that God's disposition towards you and towards me has not changed. Look again in verse 5. He jealously desired. Don't you uh, suppose, James is kind of collecting uh, the, the teaching of the Scriptures. Don't you suppose, it says to no purpose that the Scripture says, he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us. What in the world does that mean? It means that God right now, with the jealousy of a lover for his beloved, looks at you and looks at me and says, go! He is in pursuit of you. He desires you. He jealously wants you. He doesn't want this other stuff to clog the relationship. 
He doesn't want this other stuff to, to catch your eye and to be a distraction. He jealously longs for you. And so here's like yesterday, that was true. Today is true. Tomorrow is true. On a good hair day, that's true. On a bad hair day, that's true. Like all throughout, whether you're winning or losing, whether it's high or low, mountaintop, valley, whatever is coming for you, you need to know that whatever it is, God's disposition towards you has not changed. He jealously longs for the spirit that he has made to dwell in you. That's, that's, he wants your heart, he is passionate about that. So one of the questions I have, just working on the diagnostic here, like, do you have room for that in your life? Is there space in your soul to hear that the God of heaven jealously desires you? Is there space? So some of you, you can't, you can't hear that. You just think, no, nope, that's not it. Doing some study this week, ran across this story. There's a uh, a novel um, called Atticus, written by a guy named Ron Hansen. Atticus is a uh, older guy lives in um, lives in Colorado, and uh, one of his sons is a state senator, really highly successful. His, his other son is a complete washout, and they really struggle all along the way. And ultimately. Uh, the, the other son uh, moves to Mexico to escape. There's tragedy, there's trauma, there's all sorts of, of craziness, um, even to the point where he fakes his own suicide. And the dad jumps on a plane, goes down to Mexico, and the son's actually watching this unfold, like from the, 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 um, the, the he lived in this little village, and he's like from just on the outskirts, he's watching this unfold. And he, here's what the son said to himself. You have put him through hell, I thought, again and again. I felt humiliatingly unequal to his faithfulness, to his loyalty, to his love, as if I were heir to some foreign genes that my father had no part in. I just look at my life and I'm like, I see his loyalty, I see his faithfulness, I see his generosity, I see his love, and I look at me and I'm like, we ain't the same DNA, man. I don't know where I came from, but obviously I don't share in the things that you have. I do not belong, and that's exactly how some of you feel. I do not belong. And what the scripture says to that is God jealously, with the jealous, some people hear that and they're like, uh, jealous God, I'm not sure I love the idea of this. Not jealousy in the vice kind of way, jealousy in the virtue kind of way, the, the jealousy that a lover has for his beloved. God jealously longs out of his love for you, for the spirit that he made to dwell in you. Make some room in your soul. Second question, again, diagnostic. Do, do, do you have baggage? Do you have baggage? We, um, we've used it during Harvey. Uh, we've used it um, Afghan um, uh, relief. We've used it in other hurricane relief. We've got a trailer out there in the garage. Every so often, just because of the, um, 
You know, I get to be a part of this. Every so often, I take my expedition. I back that sucker up, stick that trailer on. My expedition is a very fine vehicle. I drive the family ride now so we can fit all the kids and all of our stuff in. It gets really good gas mileage for something as large as it is, like 19, 20, 21 on the, on the freeway. No problem. You hook a trailer up. It's still a very good vehicle, but even empty, man, that sucker's like... It is... A trailer, you hauling it around, it drops you down. 11, 12, 10. And you're just watching the fuel meter just go down. Some of us, because of things that have happened in our past, we're toting them around in our own U-Haul. We have hooked ourselves up to it. And we're like, man, why are we just drained? Like, why is the meter just continually ticking down? Some of us, because maybe it wasn't you, but maybe something else happened and you just think that is the defining thing of my life. And I'm hauling it around here all the while, not recognizing that the, the, the presence of it in my life is what's just sucking the gas out of you. Last question. I don't know how else to describe this. This is the only way that it made sense to me. Is there music in the environment? You ever ever been in one of those places where, coffee shop or some other place, where you're trying to work, no problem, but the overhead music is like, it just creeps in. Like you're just sitting there working, doing the things that whatever it is that you may do, and all of a sudden, some song comes on, and it gets you in your ear. And you're like, oh yeah, that's good, I like that. And you keep trying to work, you're like, I ain't working anymore. I got to wait till this song's done. I, yeah. Th- this is that. Is there music in the environment that somehow distracts you, pulls you away, or just lives in your head such that you're not actually doing the things that you need, you know, that you need to do? I'll just give you an example. Somebody comes into your world and speaks something into your life, and all of a sudden, that's the banner that, that gets flown. That is the music, if you will, that is in your ear. That's the background thing that's happening that's consistently, rhythmically pulling you off track and not letting you accomplish the things that God would want for you. Is there music in your environment? Please know, if you don't have space, ask God for space. If you've got a a trailer full of stuff that's just draining you. Ask God to help you let that go. If there's music in the ask Him to let you um, experience that for what it is so that you can identify it and then set it to the side. Why? Because His disposition for you has not changed. He jealously, with the jealousy of a lover for His beloved, He jealously desires the Spirit, which you mean to live in you. When you look up, that is what you see. Look at verse, well, just pause here. And just in case you think to yourself, well, yeah, I'm going to look up and that's what I'm going to see because I'm a first rounder. Put me in coach. I'm, I'm good. Let's, let's make this thing happen. Just in case that's you. May not be everybody. Maybe a tendency in one or two or more of us. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud, resists the proud, stands against the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Just 
watching this theme in James. Uh, the humble ask for wisdom. The proud depend on their wealth. That's chapter 1. The, the humble uh, hear and do. The proud, because they refuse to, forget what they look like. Chapter 1. The humble receive mercy and know that it triumphs over judgment. The, the proud show partiality to those who can do something for them. The, the humble live their faith. The proud talk about their faith. Chapter 2. The humble know that there's danger in the tongue and act accordingly. The proud don't act accordingly and burn their life down. Chapter 3. We could keep going. He gives grace to the humble. So, what do you do then? Verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That therefore is really important. So this is how, when we look up, what do we do? We recognize that God's disposition hasn't changed. And we submit to God. Meaning what? We, we, we bring our whole life under his control. Whatever that may be. All of our life. In some really important way. The way that we look up is by bowing down. We surrender our lives to him. You want to experience renewal in your life. Let it start with you. Where does it begin? With that kind of submission. That kind of submission to God. Submit, therefore, unto God. What, what, would, this, what would this look like? Continue in verse 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That word resist is the same word that God uses. In, um, he opposes the proud. Oppose the devil. Like stand against the darkness in your own life. Don't listen to the lie in your own life. Listen to the truth instead. And what an incredible promise. When we resist the devil, what happens? He flees. He flees. We oppose him. How? By standing in light, by walking in the light, by doing the things that we know we're supposed to be doing, by just getting up and saying, I am willing to do this because this is what God wants me to do in this moment. I resist the devil and he flees. Oppose him. <clears throat> Verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near. Like, come, be a part of this. What what exactly would that mean? Well, continue. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Is there something that you are doing physically? Like, is there something that you're doing that you need to quit doing? Cleanse your hands. Or is there something that you are not doing that you need to start doing? Cleanse your hands. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Is there something rolling around in you that you're letting exist or you're entertaining or you're giving space to that you don't need to? It needs to go out. Are there things churning that you need to set aside? The the reason why, when it comes to drawing near, the reason why I think this is important, we've said this so many times in here, I want to say it again, is because your feelings are not paramount to your existence. We live in a culture where we even talk about it. What we mean is we think that this is the case, but our language is, oh, I feel that da-da-da-da-da. Well, who cares if you feel like two and two is four? It actually is. I mean, I care about your feelings, but it's two and two and four. Like, your feelings are not paramount. The way, the way that we say this around here, feelings, you know what they are? They are great companions in our life. And they are terrible guides. And if we live by them, that is pro- our staff just finished um, a book by Eugene Peterson called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. He was talking about this specific thing. We just finished it this week. I read it. And I just want to... It's a fairly extended quote, so let me read it. S- someone says... When we talk about our feelings in relationship to drawing near to God. Someone says, I don't feel like it, and I don't want to be a hypocrite. 
I can't bless God if I don't feel like blessing God. It wouldn't be honest. The biblical response to that is, lift up your praising hands to the holy place and bless God. He's quoting Psalm 134. You can lift up your hands regardless of how you feel. Is that true? Should we prove it? Everybody? Just, yeah, okay. Some of you, not there yet. You can lift up your hands regardless of how you feel. It's a simple motor movement. You may not be able to command your heart, but you can command your arms. Lift your arms in blessing. Just maybe your heart will get the message and be lifted up also in praise. We are psychosomatic beings. Go through the motions of blessing God's blessing God, and your spirit will pick up the cue. Here's the money, money quote right here. Someone says, I don't feel like worshiping. Therefore, I'm not going to church. I'll wait until I feel like it and then go. Another says, I don't feel like worshiping. Therefore, I will go to church and put myself in the way of worship. I mean, the way of worship may be a freight train and you may get run over, but you'll be better for it. Draw near to God. Last thing, verse 9. Be wretched, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Humble yourself. I may mourn about the things that I used to rejoice in. I may weep over the things that I used to laugh about. But humble yourself. I come into His orbit, so to speak, and I'm shaped by the gravitational pull of that. And what I find is this is actually the better way. And if you think, oh, okay, so in order to be exalted, I have to humble myself. Don't make you being exalted the deal. Get before God. Humble yourself. See him. Genuinely see him as he is. Genuinely respond to him. And then genuinely you will be exalted. How do we know that this is the case? Like, in what... In what way would we say this is true? Because of the cross of Christ. Jesus died to forgive you of your sin so that you could look up to God and see a God whose disposition toward you has not changed. And then he rose again to give you a kind of life that looks like submitting to God, resisting all the darkness that is in you and in the world, to be near to God and walk with him all of your days and to stay humble and then ready to, to, to experience the exalting that God wants to give to you. He died and he rose so that we could experience this kind of life. You want to know how to bring renewal to your life and to your family, to the church family, to the community, to the nation. It all starts with you, your own decision to step forward and say, God, I, I don't know about everybody else. I don't know all the other things, but this moment, this moment right here, this little square foot of real estate that I am standing on, this is the place where I want my revival to start. Right here. If you're a follower of Jesus in here, I want you, I invite you to ask God, what had your name on it? God, where do we need to do some business? If you're not a follower of Jesus in here, I want to invite you to put your trust in him today. What you will find is forgiveness and freedom and life. Let me pray for us. Then we'll have a moment to respond. Uh, thanks, Father, for this time. I simply ask in these moments that you will um, do by your spirit what you said you want to do. 
And it is to show us Jesus, to point us to Jesus, to remind us of the things that Jesus said. To, to know, to live in the importance of the truth. To experience even what Jesus said. To know that truth and the truth then sets us free. We want freedom, God. Freedom from the things that are in us and freedom from the things that are kind of oppressing us, on us. And so, God, we look to you. You are the one. You are the one who can lead us into freedom. Thank you, Father, that no matter what is going on in us, when we look up, we see you inclined toward us in favor of us because of Jesus. And so now, in this moment, we humble ourselves. Spirit, please continue to put your finger exactly where it needs to be so that we can deal with the things we need to be dealt with. Let renewal come to us, but let it begin with each individual as they do business with you. This is what we ask now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.